We're going to read God's Word in Matthew 13, 1 to 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A soul went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of God. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Great to be with you guys again online. And if you've got your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to keep them open. Uh, Keep them in Matthew chapter 13, because we're going to be looking at what Jez just read for us as well as um, some stuff that comes after that as well. And if you don't have a Bible um, open, but you've got one you can get, even just hit pause, go get your Bible, bring it back, hit resume, um, because we're going to be getting into this together. And um, I just want to extend my welcome to what Jez was saying as well. Uh, it's good to be joining you and looking forward to being able to see you guys again in person when we can as things uh, reopen and we can get back to doing things that we're missing, like gathering together. But I just wanted to start by sharing one thing that I haven't been particularly missing uh, throughout the lockdown, which has been trips to the hairdresser. And this isn't because um, I'm, I'm really bad at small talk, although I'm not very good at small talk. It's not because... I hate paying just money again and again and again to cut something which is going to go grow back. But it's because um, at this point in my life, every trip to the hairdresser is a reminder of my own mortality. Back in the day, uh, it used to be a pretty common refrain from hairdressers when I was like a teenager. I'd be getting my hair cut, and then just as I say things, I say, oh, your hair is so thick. And I didn't really make much of that comment. It was just a kind of comment that I just kind of brushed away, didn't really know how to take it. Is it a compliment or is it just a thing that you say? I don't know. But about three or four years ago, those comments really started to dwindle off. And now it's at the point where it's just this kind of uncomfortable silence. Every time they kind of start start cutting my fringe and the front of my hair, as I realize that every time I go, there's less and less there. And and I think the vanity in me has meant that I, because of this reality that I'm going the way of my maternal grandfather on the the slow track to baldism, um, that I've started looking into some other options. I think even just once I typed in like Ashley and Martin because I've seen the ads on the TV. And when you type that in once in your computer, it gets the algorithm and it gives you the ads all the time. Just for a dollar a day, apparently, you can get enough of whatever they sell, cream, shampoo, I don't know, to, to reverse hair, lo- hair loss and get thick hair again. But I'm a bit of a skeptic. And so the last time I was at the hairdresser, I asked my hairdresser about this. I said, does this stuff work? And his answer I thought was actually quite profound. He said... If it's as simple as spending a dollar a day to not go bald, do you really think that Jeffrey Bezos and Prince William would be bald? And I was like, good point. Like, that's, really, that's pretty, like, that's, that's on point there, isn't it? Because um, I reckon they probably wouldn't if it's that simple. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe this stuff works. If it, if it does work and you've experienced it, like, send me an email. I actually want to hear about that. But, um, but there's some kind of good logic, I thought, there, that there's this big claim that companies are making. Super easy. Just get the product and you're away. But... But the fact that a lot of people aren't using it kind of makes you question, is this stuff for real? And I reckon you can apply that same sort of logic to Christianity. 
the, the foundational claim of Christianity is, is way more significant and, 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 um, and important than the claim of the, the hair loss people. The claim of Christianity is that there's just basically a message that if you take this message and you put it into your life and you live it out and you really believe it, it'll utterly transform who you are and how you experience life. But, but same, with the same sort of logic you could, that my hairdresser replied, you can kind of ask the question, if this message is so powerful, if this message is so life-changing and so transformative, why are there so many who have heard this message and are not transformed? Do you feel that question on some level? That's the question I think that underlies kind of what I feel when I think about those who I've been at church with at different points over the years, even those who maybe became Christians at the same time as I did back in high school who are now not walking with Jesus. It's the same question that it kind of underpins the, what you, you think about when you think of, I guess, high-profile Christian teachers and leaders who, who have these scandals or these deconversion experiences. And you think, if, if this message is true, if it's so powerful, like why, why are they walking away from it? It's the question that I find myself asking about my own life. When I look at myself and I see just parts of me that just aren't really getting changed or, or, or aren't really living in line with what I say I believe, and it makes me question, like, is this... Is this message really true? Is it really powerful? And that's the question that Jesus gets at today, which is, I think Jez alluded to it, just how is it possible that people can hear a message that has this massive claim of just the power to change and, and the power to transform and not respond to it? And that's what Jesus is going to be speaking about today. So I'm just going to pray now as we actually get into this passage, as we look at it, that this might be a real help for us and it might be just an opportunity for God to be speaking to us and, and helping us um, understand more of him today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that as we get into your word that you'd be speaking to us and, and we know that we are often prone to not listen. Uh, we're prone to well, just maybe listen with, with half of ourselves, half listen with, you know, or, um, or, or hear the words but not really uh, make the effort to apply them to our lives. And so we just pray that you'd be with us as we listen now, um, as we read, as we look at the Bibles in front of us, as we, as we look at the screen and, and see, you, see you speaking to us, that we would be able to respond to you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll, we'll jump in at the very beginning of chapter 13, where it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore and he told them many things in parables. So to set the scene, Jesus is a, is a teacher. He's known for his teachings. People travel from around to kind of hear what he's got to say um, because he speaks with wisdom and with, with truth. And it's a simpler day. There's no live streams and microphones. So to, to get everyone to hear, he hops in a boat uh, while everyone else stays on the shore, which makes this kind of makeshift amphitheater. And he, and he projects with his voice these stories. And it says in verse 3 that when these people gathered, what he told them were parables which is basically a word to sum up this style of teaching that Jesus did where he, he basically just used word pictures to speak in vivid, relatable ways about things that people understood. But also these parables, they, even though they kind of used themes that people were familiar with, they weren't always self-explanatory. They were designed to make you think and consider and be open-minded. And this is the first story that he tells. And so try to listen to this story as, as if I just has, hadn't given you an, an introduction or an explanation. And, and if you've heard it before, it's going to be hard. But just try to hear this story how you might have heard it if you were just kind of listening to Jesus out of the blue. It says in verse 3, 
He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, which did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's an interesting little story to kind of throw out there. And I don't know what would be the first kind of thoughts, like if you'd never heard this before, would be going through your mind. Some of you may never have heard this before, and so you can, you can answer that honestly. Maybe you'd be thinking, look, that seems like a wasteful way to go, to go about planting a crop. It's like three quarters of the seeds don't do anything. Maybe just thinking like, oh, I guess, look, that's a good point. It's tough to be a seed out there today. Maybe you're thinking, oh, look, it's a happy ending. It all works out. You know, even though some gets wasted, you know, it sprouts up and there's kind of more. But I think above all, you might just be thinking, look, why is Jesus telling me this story? Um, even if you're a farmer, it's not necessarily going to be that helpful for you in your farming. And so without an explanation, this doesn't make a lot of sense on face value. And so because of that, Jesus' closest followers turn to him and they say, look, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why do you tell them these kind of cryptic stories that aren't obvious what they're really about? And his answer that he gives us, if you keep reading on in, in Matthew chapter 13, is an interesting one. He quotes from Isaiah, from the, verse 13, this is what he says. Jesus says, though, hearing, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Now I find this a really interesting way to answer this question because it's maybe not what we would assume the answer to be. His answer isn't, I use parables to make really hard ideas easy to understand so people get them, like like common you know, sermon illustration might be. Now his answer is, 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 is much deeper than that. It's this reference to this prophecy against people whose hearts were so hard towards God that they refused to listen to what he had to say to them. That they weren't even able to because they were so closed off. That while they might hear the actual audible words, they weren't really listening or wanting to hear what God had to say to them. Listening without really listening is I think, something that I get in trouble for a lot at home. I'll be sitting on the couch, I'm sure others can relate to this, looking at some of my phone or just thinking, when all of a sudden into my consciousness I hear, Jacob, Jacob. And I look up and I see my wife Sarah frowning at me. And so at that point my, my brain has to kick into gear really fast and I can sense the fact that I maybe, did I say yes like a minute ago or have I been nodding my head? I don't really know what's going on. And I've got the choice to either say, sorry darling, I wasn't listening, or to say, Yep, I'll do that right now. And then go and take the bins out and just hope that that's what, what I was meant to do at that point in time. But to be fair, like super annoying uh, of me on, on her part. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this where, where you're talking to someone and they might be nodding their head or whatever, but you just know they're not really there. And maybe, maybe you even had the guts to kind of throw something into the conversation like, yeah, so and then I killed the guy just to see if they say, oh, cool, cool, to know if they're really listening to you or not. That's kind of a little bit what like, Jesus is doing. He's throwing something out there to catch people who might be looking like they're listening, but they're not really. Jesus says there are those who are hearing the words but not listening, but not so much out of like, an absent-mindedness or a distraction, but out of a callousness. 
that they do not want the words of Jesus to actually penetrate their hearts and go deep in them. So they hear his words. They maybe even arrive on the foreshore to listen to Jesus talk from the boat. But they don't actually deep down want to be changed. They don't want to be led to repentance. And so the parables have this divisive effect. They split people into two groups. You've got the real listeners who then who'd hear this parable and they say, wow, what's he talking about? And they have to go away and reflect on it and mull it over and chew it over in their minds and think about it and, and seek the truth. And then those who just kind of like, oh, that's a weird story and, and can walk away unchanged. Now, Jesus gives us, like the readers today, this benefit of being able to share in the same insight of this parable that he gives his disciples. He's going to tell us exactly what this parable means, the way that he told his his um, his closest followers at the time. But I think it's, be, it's worth being aware, the reason that this is kind of injected in here, in the story, is that our temptation will be the same as the original listeners, which is that we might listen to this, hear it, kind of understand it on an intellectual level, but not really listen. To hear it with our ears, but not have it take root in our lives. And so I'd encourage you now, as we just spend the next little bit, the rest of this time, just kind of unpacking these kind of four soils that Jesus talks about in his story, just to be aware of how you're listening, to actually to be conscious of, of whether you're just kind of going through the motions, um, doing this, that's what you do on a Sunday morning, you jump on the live stream, you, you, you do church and whatnot, or whether you're, you're opening yourself up to have these words, I guess, even shine a mirror on your life and your heart and your soul as to how, how Jesus might be hoping or wanting or wishing you to change in this moment or this week, um, to be listening to him this time as we unpack these now. So if you look down in your, in your Bibles to verse 18, you see Jesus begin to explain this parable. He says, Listen then to what the parable of the soul means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So firstly, just to remove any confusion, Jesus clears up what the seed is in this story. The seed is the message of the kingdom. It's this kind of shorthand summary line to describe what Jesus has been teaching on throughout this whole book of Matthew so far. And he sums it up as the kingdom. The claim that he is the promised Messiah King, that God has, been, has said he's going to come and restore the world to what it's meant to be the one who's going to rally people from all nations and, and backgrounds and around the world and languages into one people, under one Lord, uh, living out life as it was meant to be lived. And it's fundamentally a message of good news. It's the news that this king is coming not just with a sword, but with a message of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, that anyone, even in our, in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, can turn and be saved in him. And it, the seed is a great metaphor for this kind of idea and this teaching because if the, it, because of the potential, I guess, that's within it. Just like a seed can go from being this kind of small thing to growing a big tree or, or, or planting out a whole crop, this message of the kingdom, if it gets in you, if it, if it changes you, it can change everything about you. But like a seed, sometimes this message doesn't do anything at all. And so Jesus likens that to the experience of a seed falling on a path where it just kind of just bounces right off and can't get into the dirt that it needs to. And he's saying that some just don't understand it. That's what it's like to be this kind of this path. 
And he's not saying that some don't understand it on like some intellectual comprehension level, that they don't understand, just, you know, it's not that complicated a message in a sense. But he's saying that they don't understand it and that they don't respond to it. If you look through the gospel, this account of Matthew, you see that the people that reject what Jesus has to say immediately, it's not because they don't understand it, they understand full well what he's saying, but they don't want it. They don't want to give their allegiance, they don't want to change their life, they don't want to turn around, they don't want to be part of what Jesus is offering. It's not connecting with them on a deep on a deep level. And Jesus, and this is a bit jarring, I find, maybe you find as well, attributes this to the evil one snatching it away. Basically attributing what's going on to, to Satan stopping this word from being embedded in their hearts. And that can be hard, especially I, I think we as tend to not like over spiritualize things as much and we don't talk about the devil that that often. But Jesus is saying here that there is an evil personal force at work in the world whose aim is to prevent people from hearing and believing this message. That the devil is real and he's not a little red man with a pitchfork that just wants to kind of ruin your day by giving you a flat tire or making you eat cake or, or whatever else. But according to Jesus, he's, he's primarily an agent of deception. He's a liar whose greatest objective is to stop people seeing the reality of the kingdom of God. And the way that he works is through lies, through getting ideas into people's heads that mean that, they're, that they just can't comprehend and believe this message of the kingdom. To, he works by convincing people before they've even had a chance to hear that this couldn't possibly be true. That there couldn't possibly be a God, let alone a God that would, would interact with the world, let alone a God who would want a, a personal relationship with people. And the way that he does this in our culture is that by and large, he, he closes us off to just the ideas of the, of the transcendent and the immaterial and the spiritual. There's this like super cliche saying that the, the devil's greatest trick was convincing people he doesn't exist. And like it's a bit of a cliche, but that's, that's kind of the, the truth that the Bible put forward. That the devil, without even knowing that he's there, people have kind of succumbed to his tricks, to his blinding and darkening, darkening work. And, and the deceptive thing about this is that you can't know what's happening to you. Like, it's actually impossible to know if you're believing a lie. Because if I asked you to say a lie that you believe, it's kind of like an oxymoron, because if you believe it, then you, you don't think it's a lie. And if you know it's a lie, then you can't really truly believe it. And so it's, it's this difficult thing that, that Jesus throws out there to say that there are some who, who, are, un, who are, I guess, under this, this spell or this influence so what I might say to you as an encouragement from this then, particularly if you are someone who is exploring questions of faith, maybe for the first time, maybe it's just you're in a, a few weeks or a month or two into to questioning and trying to make sense of this whole Christianity thing, to maybe just spend some time introspecting a little bit and, and just to question, is there anything in you that's kind of makes you feel like I could never believe because of this? or I could never follow Jesus because of this. You've got just some deeply held belief that maybe isn't there because it's even necessarily rational or logical. Maybe it's just there that would prevent you from ever really responding to what Jesus has to say. That's something you could be doing, just to, to reflect and to, to be a real listener of Jesus and question those assumptions that you might be having. That's what Jesus is saying. That that's the, one, the first reason that some people don't ultimately respond to his message. They're closed off. They're unreceptive because they've brought into a worldview um, that doesn't have space for messages like this to take root. 
But then secondly, he, he, he points to a second soil, the rocky ground. He says in verse 20, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So Jesus lays out a second way of responding to his word, which is at first to have, I guess, what you'd call a positive response. It's like you hear a message, it's great, you, you, you jump onto it, you start reshaping your life around this message. But then for this type of person, in some way it never gets to the deeper level. There's this experiment that I heard about a while back that was done in the 1980s in America called the Biodome. And, and what this experiment was, was they were trying to kind of create the perfect conditions for life to flourish, for, for humans, for animals, for plants. And they basically made this big dome, and then they had complete control of what happened inside. So using kind of purified air, purified water, um, being able to control the amount of light that you'd have to create the perfect growing conditions for trees and plants and this kind of thing. And people lived in this biodome, um, tending plants you know, as part of this experiment for, for ages. And in a lot of ways, things seemed to do really, really well in there. But there was this one thing that just baffled scientists just again and again and again, which was that they would plant these trees, they would grow to be a certain height, they'd look healthy, and then they'd just fall over. And it was so confusing for the scientists to kind of work out what was going on in, in this situation. Like, why are these trees, healthy trees, just, just falling over at, at nothing? And then they realized the one thing that they hadn't replicated in the biodome from the outside world was wind. And the trees, the way that they'd grow, they, as, as wind would blow against them, it would force them to, to, to grow roots deeper and deeper to kind of hold them up. But without that pressure, they, just, they were growing fine above the surface, but there was nothing forcing the roots down deep, and they would just top over, topple over at the smallest thing. I think like this, it's, it's possible, particularly in those kind of early stages of trying to follow Jesus, to look alive above the surface. To kind of do those kind of outward, those initial changes, the, the, you know, the, just the kind of low-hanging fruit that you can kind of change and grow in. But that without having roots that go deep and stabilize you, when troubles come, which they will, um, you cannot last. And, and Jesus is pretty upfront with the fact that there is going to be opposition, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution and troubles, not just incidentally, but because of the word, because of following him. And the question is, will you have roots that are deep enough to withstand this? The, the people that come to my mind as I, as I think about this this week, like just on the top of my mind, is, is thinking right now of Christians in Afghanistan. That there's, there are likely people who have started following Jesus at some point over the last decade under kind of the, you know, the democratic government backed by the Americans who are now having to all of a sudden rethink everything about what it means to follow Jesus. How do you follow Jesus under the Taliban? It's a complete it's a complete shift. Um, and, and to do that, that you will need some, some depth and some, some roots and some, um, some real, I guess, connection with God to withstand that kind of challenge. And that's what happens over time. Jesus is up front. And that's probably similar, actually, to what Jesus is talking about here with the, his initial readers would have to think about, are they going to be ready to stand up to the per persecution from the Romans or from the Jewish leaders at the time? And remarkably, over history, this happens again and again and again in different parts of the world, in the Middle East or in Japan or in China or in England or in Germany, where, where Christians are forced to decide whether they're going to keep following Jesus or maybe even face death. And people have shown themselves again and again to have roots that go deep. 
That's not the kind of persecution that we have here right now, obviously. But I think to different degrees, we have moments as followers of Jesus in Australia where we've got to be ready to stand firm in the face of the difficulty that comes from following him. Maybe it's the strained friendships or strained family relationships or people mistreating you in some maybe smaller way or, or thinking less of you because of what you believe. Or maybe it, it's hitting those points in life where you realize that to follow Jesus might mean to forego something whether that's like an opportunity or a promotion or a job that just doesn't fit with being a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's, 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 uh, it's for a time, uh, even foregoing a relationship where in one, in one sense that you feel like that would be good for you, but you just know that that's not the road that following Jesus would lead you down. Or the trouble that comes with if maybe you're in a marriage that is hard, and if it wasn't for the fact that you're a follower of Jesus, you'd just feel like it's probably easy just to kind of leave this thing, but you know that Jesus calls you to stay and to persevere with it. And so over the years, there are these, op- these moments in time when to follow Jesus means taking the hard road, the, the road that's going to be challenging and it's going to be tough. And if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably seen people that you know and care about hit that fork moment in the road, and that's the moment they stop following Jesus. So I encourage you to be a listener at the moment. That's just what Jesus throws out. He says, this, this is what happens. When I hear this, it makes me think about, well, how am I going at ensuring that I've got roots that are deep enough to withstand maybe the troubles that haven't even come yet? Who knows what is in store in the future? To reflect and to think about where do you see, I guess, your risk of being ripped out of the ground? Jesus is maybe offering you some grace in this moment to, to have this space and this time to consider how it is that you might deepen your faith in him to be sure that you'll be a person who stands firm when the trouble comes. That's the second soil, um, the rocky ground. Jesus then lays out the third soil, which is the seed that falls amongst the thorns. So he says in verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the third way, I guess, of, of failing to ultimately hear and respond to Jesus' message um, is, is the reality that we've got these competing worries and desires and aspirations and thoughts that, that are fighting for attention and, and the central part of our lives. And so if it's the case that it's I think pretty fair to say that the main struggle that for, say, Christians in Afghanistan might be that second soil. It's probably true to say that for us here in Australia, this is going to be the thing that's maybe going to be the most pressing upon us. Where there's just so much going on for us that there's just not room for, for Jesus' message to take a hold of our life. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going into a hoarder's house. Um, I've I have a couple of times, and I'm not just talking about, you know, someone who's got just a bit too much stuff. I'm talking about a home in which there is just junk on every surface available. Piled up newspapers, magazines, junk mail, things from the council cleanup, jars, bottles, on, on the coffee table, piled on the floor, on, on the kitchen bench, on the dining table. And it's a tragic thing. It's horrible because it, all this stuff that has been accumulated actually prevents the person from experiencing life. They can't have people over it. Often they're, they're embarrassed of it. It's just it's a mess. It's not functional. And even in their own home, they can't, they can't really live. They can't even exist because of all the stuff that is around them. And I think it's a bit of a picture of often what our hearts are like, particularly in the West, 
We have these hearts that are like just full of junk, of, of thoughts and concerns, to-do lists, aspirations, holidays we want to have, things we want to achieve, things we want to buy, concerns about how we're succeeding, concerns about the housing market, about the crypto market, how we're liked, are we approved, are we in control, how's COVID going, the things we want to do, the business that we put into our lives. It's just chaos in there so much of the time. But as much as we might have then, with all that, a good intention, like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a person that, that, that follows in the way of Jesus and becomes a, you know, a person of just love and, and peace and gentleness and, and generosity, that, there's no room for that with everything else we've got going on. It's like thorns that are just choking out the seed. Jesus taught on this again and again and again. He, a while back we saw he just taught this really basic thing that you can't have two masters, you can't love God and money. I think there'd be very few among us that don't feel this on some level. This competition within us and these, these competing desires. But, but Jesus says for some, eventually that, that struggle is, is too much to keep up. And that, that, that initial growth is just choked out by everything else going on. With the lie that you'll be more fulfilled, you'll be more happy if you, if you get the, those riches or that success or that, that, that image or whatever it is. And, and the sad reality is I, I've seen people who have taken that road, who've, who've made money the main thing, made their career, made their, their Instagram success, their, their whatever it might be, the main thing. And it's choked out this seed, this message of the gospel. So Jesus is saying in this, again, reflect, be aware, what's going on within you? Are you really listening? Is, are you creating space within you for this to take hold? Or is there just way too much going on that there's just not enough oxygen even getting, getting to, that, to that reality, that, that, that kingdom-mindedness that you might be trying to cultivate? This is why we talk about, I guess, prioritizing practices that carve out space within. Like taking a Sabbath looks like it's carving out time in the week, but it's actually carving out time within you just to kind of focus on what really matters. Having, having space each day to set aside from all the other distractions and thoughts to actually hear from God in his word taking space on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night to, to lock that in your calendar, to spend time in, in God's Word with other people on the same journey as you so you can help one another along in that, to take space to actually give breathing room for the gospel within us, that it might change us over time. That's the third soil. And then the fourth soil that, that Jesus lays out is, I guess, the good soil. It's the one that, is, that, can, that avoids all these troubles we've just been through. Verse 23 says, a seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus finishes by showing us what real listening looks like. It's when the message of the kingdom goes deep and then doesn't just do nothing, but it grows out and bears fruit and transforms and multiplies. And like this is just why it's such, a, I think, a powerful story because you know, a small a bag of seeds can, can turn into a whole crop of produce, or a single seed can, can gr- turn into a massive tree bearing fruit. And this is the encouragement in the passage, is that this message of the kingdom has a huge amount of power, and you don't actually have to look that far to see what it does, to reflect on, on how people, maybe yourself, maybe those you can see around you, have been changed profoundly by this message. So we've been changed from being one way to being, hopefully, people who are, who are more loving, more generous, more Christ-like, more humble, um, growing in peacemaking and, and, and care for others. 
it's actually a testament to the power that this message has. And hopefully you can see some of that growth in yourself. But even beyond that, it, it grows and multiplies, I guess, numerically as well. That I think one of the greatest evidences for the reality of this is that despite the fact that there are all, I guess, these kind of obstacles and these challenges, for the last 2,000 years, this message of the kingdom has spread exponentially to the point where it's in all parts of the world, in all, in all languages, in all, in all people groups that are in every other way kind of really different from each other. This is spread and it multiplies. And our hope as a church is that it will continue to spread and multiply here. That we would be having space within us, not just looking first the hours, but within us to actually grow as people who, who truly understand and are changed by the message that Jesus puts out, the message of forgiveness and grace and then life change that comes in him. And that this will continue to multiply out into our city as well. But I'm a bit loath to kind of add too much to what Jesus has to say here because he just kind of drops this parable initially and then he just says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's kind of what I want to leave you with today as we've just reflected through this. Jesus has just said how it is. He's thrown a lot out there to consider. And he says, if you've got ears, just listen to this. And so maybe some, at some point over the next week, maybe even just after this right now or this afternoon, you might want to spend some time re-listening to this story, not to this sermon, but to opening up the, the passage in front of you, maybe with paper and pen, and just seeing what it says about you. Asking God to show you anything you might need to be made aware of in your own life. Are there, are there lies that you're believing? Ways that the, the devil is actually impacting your ability to really believe this stuff? Are there ways in which you're maybe becoming dislodged or uprooted by some suffering, some hardship in your life? Or maybe you're just not ready for that when it comes, that he's encouraging you to do what it takes to, to go down deeper into him. Are there, are there things that are just competing for attention that are, that are starving out and, and crushing God's work within you because of all the things you've got going on in your mind and in your heart that you just need to kind of create some space this week to get rid of some of those and, and to have space to grow once again? And if you find any of those things in your time of listening, bring them to God to actually pray, to ask him for help in your life. And if you want us well to reach out to us, it's, certainly, it's not annoying to have people fill in that Google form. It's not like, we, it's not like we're saying fill in the Google form and hoping no one does. We, we really desperately want you to get in touch just to, to, to start a conversation, to find time for a phone call or a walk or just to, so we can be praying for you. If there's just anything this has brought up that you want to follow up on, we want to hear from you. Um, as a leadership, we're, we're, we're tired of not being able to see you all face-to-face. We'd love any contact we can. We're desperately lonely. Reach out to us. Um, please do. But we'd love to be helping you. We'd love to be praying for you over this week. So I'm just going to finish our time just by praying that we would be people who continue to, to listen and to hear and understand Jesus' words for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your words. It's just... Um, it's remarkable to even just ponder on the reality that these were written 2,000 years ago and uh, seeming they often feel like a mirror held to our own soul to see what's going on. Um, we can relate to this story. There are people that we know and love who um, who maybe have started following you and who aren't at this moment that we want we just want to be bringing before you now that you might ultimately be at work to to break through and to bring about life and transformation and growth. We pray that there might be opportunities for that in the next few weeks, even as we do this doubt series. But Lord, even just for ourselves, we, we just know that we are um, dappled, messy, broken creatures. We just ask uh, 
for an outpouring of your grace upon us that you might, by helping us see and know ourselves and to see and know you, that we might, we might uh, be people who are on a path of growth and change, um, turning more and more into, into people who bear your image and, and reflect the likeness of your Son. So we just pray that you would be, be at work in us this week, that we might be people who, who multiply, who multiply within just in, in growth in you, but also that we would be a church that multiplies in, in creating space for others to hear this message and to respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.